I want <laughs> I want to show you this video one more time because and the young the the person may be here and I, and I apologize because I've not asked this uh, permission but um, one of the people on this video because they were on the video they came to church and I didn't know they were there they came and greeted me after the service was over and come to find out they gave their heart to Christ that morning isn't that great just from being interviewed on the video and being part of that. And so uh, praise God for that. Now, we've been in a series of messages on for something more, and this is the last installment of that. We're going into uh, a special time next week because we have our Global Impact Conference, which begins on Wednesday night on the Oviedo campus. Next week, you're going to really have a special treat. Rod Gilbert, who is the national pastor in India, pastor, that baptized, I think, 70,000 people last year alone. We've been with him now for about 20 years. He's preached our church uh, before. Been with him about 20 years. When he started out, I remember teaching a leadership conference with about 100 people and about 20 years ago. And that's how much they've grown. And he has stories to tell, great things that have gone on there. He's an excellent preacher, as you can imagine, having that many people uh, saved. And so that begins. And so begins this Wednesday night and carries on through next Sunday. So what I want to share with you this morning is there's one thing about having something more in your life that's, that's really missing, that we have not talked about as yet. We've talked about Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say unto you. He says, um, uh, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I go unto the Father. Now, we think about greater works. It must be leading people to Jesus, but that, that is it. But there's also greater works within us as well, as well as supernatural things happening without as well. Jesus said that he was the vine. In the very moment that we receive Jesus into our heart, we become a branch within him. And the Bible says that that's the, the, sort of the Holy Spirit comes up through the vine, out through the branches, and bears the fruit in our life. Now, we've said the fruit of the Spirit on the inside, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. But then on the outside, once you begin to get all that on the inside, it grows outwardly, and you can do greater works on the outside as well. And because we look at this one last thing, this one last ingredient that's going to happen, a life on mission, it's more than being about ourselves. And it could be, it could very well be, that the reason why you don't have joy in your life is because you're not on mission. You don't have a mission in life. So let's look at that. As John, or as John's writing this gospel, Jesus just, he's making a journey. He's come out of the Lord's Supper, the upper room. Now he's going to a place the Bible calls the Garden of Gethsemane. And at that point, he'd take three disciples up on this little hill. He'd begin to pray, and he, say, he would say, Father, would you take this cup of wrath from me? But that famous saying, not my will, but your will be done. So he's going to agonize in the garden. On the way there, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, he begins to talk to the disciples, just walking along, walking along the Kidron Valley where all the sacrifices had gone on that day. They can, they can smell the stench of death within their nostrils as they're walking along. And he gives them the last instructions right before he would die on the cross. And he's giving them instructions. He begins to come now to the end of it, and he prays for them. Now, we think about the Lord's Prayer as being our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But that's Jesus' model prayer. That's when Jesus asked them, uh, or was asked by the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. So he taught them that way. 
This is his prayer for himself, for the disciples, and for us. Verses 1 through 5 has all to do about Jesus praying for himself. So that's a good thing to do. Verses 6 through 19, he's praying specifically for the gentleman right in front of him, his original disciples. Then in verse 20 through 26, he prays for us, the future disciples. And tucked away in all this is the mission of God. And so we're going to be looking at this in three points. Number one, the power of mission. Secondly, the purpose of it. And thirdly, our, our chance at participation in it. Let's look at the power of missions. The first thing you need to realize is that mission means one sent out. It one's pushed out of something. Missions are the idea. In fact, we're going to look at the government for an example. And we, we don't want to work, look at the government too much an example, you know, these days. But uh, government is an example. It's an ambassador. What do you do with, as an ambassador? Well, you represent one country, but you go and live in another country, and you let people know this is how your country lives. That's what, what it was all about. You, you represent your country. Paul calls it ambassadorship. We're missionaries. We're sent out with a mission. Notice what it says in verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to you, Jesus said in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask for you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is saying in his prayer for the disciples, he was, he was saying to them, I've sent them out as missionaries for me. He says, Everything has to do with this whole thing about joy. And he says, as, verse 18, as I have been sent, I sent them back. It's interesting to note in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, when it's talking about Jesus up in heaven, thinking about, not thinking about it, but being sent on a mission uh, to this earth to die for us, it says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What has happened here? In this passage, love and truth are coming together like a, mission is like an explosion on the inside, an explosion of joy that has to get out in some way. Um, the best illustration I can think of right off the cuff is your shower. You've got all this piping coming in, and maybe you have a, a large pipe, and the water's coming in, and, and the shower head is off. Then you turn it on, and the stream begins to be forced through that little hole to give you some power in your shower. Well, what's happening, that, that water is backed up, backed up, backed up, and all of a sudden it burst forward in this little bitty hole. That's what love and truth, when they come together, is all about. The truth of the gospel and loving other people, the passion begins to grow in us, the joy begins to grow in us, as it did with Jesus in heaven, and it, it's like a reservoir coming through a little spigot, and it's very powerful and it's very real as the joy is full in our heart. The lack of joy and fulfillment in life may be, a due, may be very well due to your lack of mission in life. You know, my generation uh, coming up, I was, I was so privileged to go through the Jesus movement and uh, back in the 70s. And during that time, and really during the 60s, when my, um, the older people, a little older than me, were going through the Vietnam War, protesting Vietnam, they were, they were all, seemed to, everybody seemed to have a cause. 
And in, verse, in, 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 the, in the 70s, people had a cause. I remember in 1968, people talked, I mean, I'm sure for 20 years, about Urbana and how Billy Graham preached in Urbana. And so many people uh, committed to the mission field and dedicated their lives to Christ. And, of course, Urbana had been going on for 22 years up to that point. But it was like a changing point and probably brought on the Jesus movement. You see people that had a cause, had a cause. In fact, you wouldn't meet anybody. In fact, you probably wouldn't meet anybody today. But back then, if you ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. Nobody said, well, I think that I want to sit at a desk all day pushing paper around the rest of my life. You know, nobody said that. So what happened? Why is it that in my generation in particular, the only people you can find that are really passionate about something you know, you know, joining the, let's, let's support the Peace Corps, let's support missions, let's support this over here, let's go here, let's go there, let's be a pro bono lawyer instead. Why do you find very few people? Well, because there was a philosophy going on in the halls of our university system that combated the whole idea of being on mission, and that was called postmodernism. And what postmodernism says is, is that there is no absolute truth, and it's all about you. It's all about your pleasure. It's all about your happiness. It's not about everybody else. It's about you. You've got to do what is best for you because there is no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, there's nothing worth dying for. And if there's nothing worth dying for, there's really nothing worth living for. And so people got back involved in what they call the establishment. And the only people I know today that are still living on mission are really Christians. And not many of them were my generation. Not many at all. And you see, here's the problem. If all your life is wrapped up around, it used to be, let me just say that it was, there's a cause greater than myself. There's my family, my country, my church, my God, Christ. There's a responsibility to the community. And I know young people today feel a responsibility to the community, and I would just say, why do you? If there's no absolute truth, if when you're dead, you're dead, what is the the big deal about all this. And so everybody lives for themselves. That's why community is so hard to find. It's not just moving around from place to place. That's a big part of it. But part of it is, <clears throat> if my life's wrapped up in myself, what do I want you to do? I want you to come around me and support me. Now, you're not going to do that. Not really. Why? Because your life revolves around you. And you want me to come and support you. I'm not talking about necessarily as a pastor, just anybody. And so, therefore, no community. In fact, sometimes the only people that you can call around you now to help you with your success is the people you pay because nobody wants that. Nobody's living on the mission. Therefore, we've sacrificed our joy. We're living in a broken world, and people today are looking for happiness, and in looking for the happiness, they're not finding anything in life. And so we look at this and we understand that unless you're on mission, you're not going to have joy in your life. But then the purpose of missions, let's, let's talk about something that, that's a little bit more narrow for a moment and talk about Christian missions for a minute. Why that? Notice what Jesus is saying to the disciples. In verse 6 he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now, Jesus is saying, look, first of all, they were in the world, and you've called them out of the world. He's talking about salvation. 
You've saved them out of the world. And then in verse 11, it reads, they are, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Now, Jesus has called us out of the world, but we're still in the world. We're still there. Then he goes on to say in verse 16, they are not of the world. He said that again in verse 14 and 15 as well. They are not of the world. So I'm called out of the world. You and I are called out of the world. We're still in the world. We're called out of the culture of the world, but we still live among the people of the world, but we're not of that culture. We're not of the world. And then he says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So I'm called out of the world. I'm still living in the world, though. But I'm not part of the world, but I'm sent out into the world. And that's the mission of God, to send us out into the world. Why? Because the world's broken. Our world around us is broken. People are broke, the broken marriages and broken homes, broken jobs, broken careers, broken hearts. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we, we sin against God because we have inherited the sin nature of Adam. But we also sin because we're putting ourselves on the throne rather than Jesus Christ on the throne. And so it's over and over and over and over again. The further we go away from God and the more we sin, the more broken we are. We're broken. And the only message that will fix us is the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now we're getting into something. And I don't, I don't know a lot of you like Doug knows you. And... Um, I try to hang out as much as I can, but here's the thing. We begin now to get real narrow when we say, oh, Jesus is the only door. What we want to do with religion is say, there are many doors. There's, I just came in this door. I think there's another door over here, right? There's a door back here and a door back here. Well, there's four doors right there, and then there's doors to all these rooms. There's a lot of doors to heaven. And Jesus said, no, there are no doors. John 10 says, Jesus said, I am the door, the only one. So that's narrow. That's, that's bigoted. Well, let me ask you something. Suppose uh, you were in a situation where somebody knocks on your door. And uh, as they're knocking on your door, you come in, they have suits on, man, they look real official. They look like from the government or something. They come into your living room and you say, they tell you, you know, I'm sorry, I'm probably out of the light here. You know that there's a plague going on all throughout the world. Yeah, I know that. Well, it's coming to America. It's going to, it's going to kill everybody in the world. We have no cure for it at all. No cure. So what we've been doing is looking for pure blood of a certain kind that's not infected, certain DNA. And if we could find that blood, then we can make serum out of it and we can cure the world of this plague. Think, wow, that's great. I'm not going to die. Well, who's the person? Your five-year-old son. Are you saying that you're going to get blood from my five-year-old son. That's right. How much blood? All of it. So he's going to have to die for the rest of the world. That's right, and it's the only way. So you think about it that night, and, and you call the people back over and say, look, I, I've just got to clarify something. Are you saying it's the only way my son giving his life is the only way? And there, there's a pause, and you catch it. And there's one guy really wants to talk to you, and you say, I'm going to ask you, is it the only way? He says, okay, I'm going to be, be up front with you. Switzerland and their doctors, they, they're creating a way, and they're ahead of us. And there's this plant in Africa, and they really believe that's going to cure the cure too. But, you know, your son will bring about the American cure from our pharmaceutical company. 
So let me get this straight. There are other ways to cure this plague, and even without my son's death, there, there's still a way to cure it, but you want me to give my son and, and let you slaughter him in order to have an American cure, in order to have your pharmaceutical company come up with a cure? Yeah, that's right, that's right. So you must think I'm out of my mind. You would never do that. But yet we expect God to do that. God, there's a lot of doors here to heaven. There, there's this way, that way, that religion, no religion, this, 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 and this. But you know, you sent your son to live 33 and a half years here on earth, die on the cross for our sin, shed every single drop of his blood, just so, what? The Baptist, Methodist, and Presbyterians can have a way. No, I don't think so. If you are not so barbaric to do that to your own son, certainly our Father in heaven is not that barbaric either. You say, yeah, but what about those who never heard? All right, let's just take those who have never heard the gospel. Romans 1 says, they know about God because God has placed the knowledge in their heart. I had a situation back at uh, the university where I went uh, way back in the day. And I was sharing Christ with this guy. This other guy was overhearing it. Sometimes that's the best way to do it, you know. This other guy was overhearing it. This other guy got up and left. And this one guy says, I've, got to, I've never gone to church. I've got to ask all these questions. He asked one right after the other. And he really wanted to know. And he asked me a question. What about those who have never heard the gospel? What about those who have never heard what you're talking about? What about them? Are they going to go to hell? I thought, well, I was a fairly young Christian still. And I said, well, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm going to have to ask my pastor about that. And so I got an appointment with Bill Rick as my pastor for this guy and I to go in and talk to him. And he brought the answer. He said, there's general revelation, and everybody knows that there's a God. It's just in the heart. But then there's specific revelation where if a person says, yeah, I do want to know more. I do want to know more. There's something about the trees. There's something about the rivers, the mountains. There's got to be a God out there. God will send someone to them just like he did in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. He even brought out that example in the book of Acts. Here it is right here. Well, he was wondering about God, and God sent Philip over here to, to witness to him. But here's what he said too. He said, and he turned to me and he said, Dwayne, suppose um, all these people, say, in a, a nation in India, where I've been, um, in India were uh, lost. You know, there's a billion people maybe that don't know anything about Christ at all. Nothing. Never heard the name. And we'll just say, because they've never heard, they're automatically saved. I said, yeah, okay. He said, now, you and I go into India and start preaching the gospel. And a lot of people start preaching the gospel. Now, only a portion of those are going to leave their religion and come to know Christ. Okay, that's true. I mean, we'll probably force you to get 10, 15, 20%. I don't know. He said, what about the other 80%? I said, well, we'll make them accountable. Then they'll be lost. If we leave them alone, everybody's going to be saved. But if we go in and preach the gospel, two-thirds, three-fourths, four-fifths of them will be lost. And only a portion will be saved. Yeah, but they'll live so much better life. I know that. But hey, listen, there's 80, 100, 90, maybe 90 years to live here on earth. That's nothing compared to all of eternity. You sacrifice the, the present on the altar, the eternal, eternal every time. So, dear friends, you and I have a cause. And we have a cause worth dying for. Missions, they are lost. And the only way is through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, 
you know, the love of God. Listen, the love of God compels us. Listen to this. For the love of Christ, Paul says, compels us. They're not happy. I've been to India several years ago. I, I, I was in India, and uh, I was able to minister to a lot of the people there. Dollar and a quarter a day was all they made. There's misery there. There's still misery there. There's, many, there's misery in the communist countries today. Communism has enslaved millions, and yet we think somehow they're going to be okay. So they're not. So what's our participation? What has God called us to do? Look with me in verse 19. And for their sake I consecrate myself, they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for, my, for those only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. And verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, but they may be even, one, even as we are one. He's talking through this passage about now passing the baton of faith down to the next generation. He says, the disciples you have, now you pass it down to the next ones. And we had time, we'd read the rest of those verses this morning, and you can go back and read those. He's saying, look, here's what you need to do. What, what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray for our own community. We need to pray for missions. You ask most missionaries, what do you want me to do more than anything else? They'll tell you, I, I, need, I need prayer. There's spiritual warfare going on everywhere around I am. Secondly, what about going? We move out of the familiar into the uncomfortable. Until you do that, joy will not be yours. Because the mission won't be yours. What did Jesus do? In order to have joy in his life, he moved out of the comfort of heaven and came to the, un, the unspeakable time that he had to spend on earth. He came to a time where he gave himself. He was a man on mission. He was personally involved in what was going on. In your bulletin, we have a short choice of trips. We've had 132 people called to full-time Christian service in the last 25 years. Most of those will come back and say, well, the thing that made the most difference in my life was a short-term mission trip I went on. We've got all kinds of mission trips going on in the coming year. I would encourage you to go on one of those. Now, God probably will not call uh, you, law of averages, to full-time Christian service overseas somewhere. Probably not. But your life can be changed when you get personally involved in going on a trip. But I learned a long time ago, I can't be everywhere at once. I can't. I've I've been blessed to be to India, Romania, and uh, Peru, and Brazil, some of the other. But I'm not there now, and I can't be there. We can't, I can't uh, personally start churches and plant churches for Compassion International. You've been over that a little bit, haven't you, about Compassion? And uh, I can't do that. So what do we do? We partner. We partner with Compassion International. We're going to be doing something to secure our schools over in Oviedo. I, we can't do what on the scale that we want to do by ourselves. We have to pull in partners and the community that's involved in that. And so when we do all this, we take on partnerships. What does it take? Well, I can't go, so I'm going to give you money to go. I'm, I'm going to give something to go. And so I know that there's objections about money. Well, here we are at church, and they're talking about money. Listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen when uh, a certain, certain generations pass off the scene because a lot of churches are not, not preaching on this at all. 
and we don't preach on this, you can't get discipled. You're not getting personally involved. You're not giving out of your life because that's what money is all about. That's what giving money is all about. And then you have some that are in a church that say, well, look, I'm going I'm to give 10% because the Bible says give 10%. So I'm giving 10% to the Lord. Now, pastor, if you want me to give to missions, okay, I'll give 2% of that or 1% of that, and then I'll give 9% to the Lord. I had a man come up to me and said, look, I'm, I'm only giving 2% to the church because I'm giving 2% to this missionary and 1% to this one, and it just whittles down. Well, if that were to happen, and it, it has happened, the reason why we have not had a global impact conference in a long time is probably partially because of that reason. People are giving it everywhere else because they think the only thing I do is the legalistic thing and only give the 10. Now, there's no question that the Bible says that everything we have belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. Uh, my money is not my own. It belongs to the Lord. Even Deuteronomy says that God gives me the power and you the power to make wealth. And he does talk about tithing, and that's a lesson for another day, and it will be. But bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. That's us. That's where the church is. That's where the giving begins because there needs to be food here. There needs to be a place here where we train people, where we lead people so we can have missions and partnerships other places. May be food in my house, spiritual food, and thereby put me to the test. So I just can't do it. I can't. Listen, every time you give, it's a step of faith. And the more you give, the bigger step it is. So the question is, it's not how much money you have, it's how much faith you have. Where are you? The Bible says, go by the measure of faith that you have. How much faith? It says, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out down a blessing until there is no more need. Now, I, I was raised uh, in a home where it's paycheck to paycheck. Uh, my dad was a, a, a factory worker. My mom worked in a sewing plant. That's the kind of life. I, to me, pastoring a church as large as we're pastoring, it's just unthinkable. I never even thought about it. I'd never been to a church that big in my entire life. I was the first person in my family to get a college education, much less beyond that. So I'm, I'm saying is that my wife and I, even while we were in seminary, decided we're going to tithe. Now, we were already doing it as individuals, and we were already doing it my first year in the pastor. But when we went to seminary, we even said, hey, we're going to keep on going. In fact, what we're going to do, we're going to give 1% more to the Lord every year in our marriage until we reach at least 15%. And so that's what we did. We were giving 11 and 12 and 13% when she was working barely full-time and I was working part-time. And God always, always provided for us. We never, in fact, God is, has blessed us. And it's not because of my, my talent. I believe it's the same way as what's happened over in India. And I'll come to that in just a minute as I close. Generosity is what we're talking about. Not just the legalism. The Bible says in Levit Leviticus, he says, um, <clears throat> the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And the reason why we tithe, the purpose of tithing, is to teach us always to put God first in our lives. And so every time I tithe, I'm reminded that all of it belongs to God. But what about beyond that? Well, it's just a legalism. I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to cut it off right there. We're talking here about generosity. I wonder sometimes in nations like India where you see the power of God being 
so poured out, the Holy Spirit moving so much, 70,000 people baptized in one church in one year. No church in America is experiencing anything like that. I was in India, and um, I was told, you can't preach the gospel here. You're an outsider. They'll throw you out of the country. They'll throw the missionary out of the country. Don't do that. Well, Rod Gilbert, who was the national pastor, had no understanding of that whatsoever, okay? <laughs> he had a different idea. So we were in this little hut, and it was basically a, a glorified tent. But it, you know, I, I think uh, seven, eight people lived in that little place. We were in the middle of the slums, mud, and you had to walk through mud to get to these different places. And they even had cows, those who could afford it, a few cows tied there right outside their tent. And um, so we went into this tent. I met the family. They couldn't speak English. I was going through an interpreter the whole time. And he's, Rod's just talking up a storm, you know. And uh, he said, he turned to me and said, we're going to have church. And I thought, hey, good, good. I'm going to see how this is going to go, you know. And he said, and you're preaching. Okay. And he said, and there's not going to be any music. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an announcement here. I'm going to pray and I'm going to turn it over to you. And so I thought, well, I'm probably getting in trouble here, but who cares? You know, so I started preaching. And five out of those 25 people that were in that room tied like this received Christ in that village. It's not really a village. It's just a homeless tent place. And so uh, on the way out, they had a custom where you, they bring their kids to you and you lay your hands on their head and you pray for them as a pastor. So I was doing that. Three different ladies came by and gave me an offering. Now, you're talking about they live day to day. The only thing they have to eat sometimes is fried bread on a little skillet. That's it. And sometimes not that. And I told Ron, I said, I can't take this money. 17 rupees altogether. That's, that's a dollar a quarter or a day's wage. I, I can't take this money. He says, oh, no, they want to participate in the ministry. They want to participate in your ministry. You're going to insult them if you don't take the money. So I took the money I gave it to him to put in the offering. But I was so moved by that. When I went back another time, he says, he didn't tell me this to start with, so I had to come up with a new lesson. But he says, I want you to preach on tithing and giving. I said, these people don't have any money. He said, no, they need to learn that. That's part of discipleship. They need to learn to be generous. So I taught on them. They just, they just ate it up. They wanted to know. You know. They love Jesus, so they wanted to know, how can I do this? How can I do it? I can't go everywhere. I can't do everything. I close with this story because it's so moving to me. I'll never forget hearing it. And it's kind of helped define my life a little bit. I heard a guy by the name of Mark Rutland who used to pastor Calvary Assembly. But he, for a while he was in Atlanta and he had a radio program. I listened to him every day. And um, he talked about going to Africa and preaching the gospel there. And he said that he was coming away from this uh, big, big meeting outdoors. And he was getting in the Jeep, this, this Jeep-type car. And they were going to go to the airport. He was so tired. He was just like he couldn't hardly hard stand himself. And so he gets in the car. And this little old lady, can I say that little? That's not. This uh, the senior saint of the female persuasion Uh came running as best she could, looked about 90 years old, probably not near that old, but about 90 years old, came running to the car. So he rolls down the window, and he said he remember put, he puts his arm on the, um, the window, 
to listen to him, what she had to say. He said she put a vice grip on his arm. I mean, it was like, like that. This bony, these bony fingers holding on to him. And with a tear coming down her cheek, she says, tell them we are here. And I've been doing that ever since. I'm telling you, they're there. Let's bow our heads. And maybe this morning, I'm not only telling you that they're there, but I'm telling you that Jesus is there for you. And you can't be a blessing to others until you know Jesus lives in your heart. So um, before I turn it over to Doug, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do that. If you want Jesus in your heart, if you recognize him as the way that you need to take to heaven, the way. Pray with me now silently as I pray out loud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Forgive me of all my sins and help make me that person on mission and not just living for myself. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Doug's going to give you some instructions. Thank you all for having me today. Would you stand with me this morning? Everybody stand with me. You know, as Pastor Mercer was talking, you know, the big idea was we're, we have a life on mission, don't we? Amen. Amen. And some of us, if we were really honest, we would say this, we're not really living that mission out very well. Unfortunately, convicting to me is maybe to many of you is when he talked about so much of our lives are wrapped up about ourselves. It's all about us. And so today, the invitation is going to be very, very simple. There's many of us in the room today, and maybe today you're sitting there going, okay, I know I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm not living my life on mission. I mean, there are people in my workplace, people in my family, people in my neighborhood that I personally know that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know they don't, and I've never taken a step to share them the only way to heaven through Christ. And so today, I'm going to ask you to join me at the altar today and just get on your knees and say, God, forgive me for not sharing the best news I've ever known. Or God, would you, would, you, would you wreck my heart today and open my eyes to people around me that I, that, that I need to know that if they have that relationship, Father of Christ, and you know him as your Lord Savior, join me at the altar today. I want you to join me and say, Lord, truly know the good news of Christ. And so I want this all, listen, if you're a follower of Christ and you're able to get down, would you join me today? Because that is the only message worth sharing. Your opinions aren't worth sharing. Your personal bias aren't worth sharing. The only message worth sharing that can truly change a broken heart is the message of Christ. Amen? And I want you to join me today. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ and you prayed that prayer a moment ago, I'm going to ask some deacons and wives if they would hit the sides of the room and you just want to share with them or share with me and just say, would you pray for me? We'll do that today. All right, I'm going to pray for us one more time. And as soon as they start singing, let's fill this altar and pray for God's mission in our life. But also, if you need to know Christ today, make that decision. Father, we love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the message for me personally. It reminded me that everywhere I go, everywhere I go, every place I find myself, I am on mission. I am your ambassador. I am your representative. And God, it is sad to say that too often for me and maybe some people in the room today, we don't represent you well. But today, may that change for us. 
I'm praying for believers in the room today that they will join me at this altar and say, Lord, no more. We do live in a broken world. And more important than climbing the corporate ladder or more important than flying below the radar, the most important thing in my life is to make sure that I'm living and sharing the only message that can change your heart, and that's the message of Jesus. So God, I pray this altar is filled with believers who need to, who need to be reminded of that. I pray this altar is filled with believers who are struggling with, how do I share? But I want to. God, I want to, but I struggle. God, may you just wreck us today. May you just wreck us over the self-centeredness that's in our lives and remind us that you've called us out. We are in the world, but we are not of the world, but we're sent to go to the world to share the hope of Christ. I just pray that you would truly wreck us today. And I pray for those who, who prayed that prayer, those that, that truly said, I, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that today they would step out of their aisles, they would make their way to the front, and they would let somebody know that today they said yes to Christ. Lord, we love you. And I pray today that as a church, as the East Campus, we would decide we are going to be a church on mission. We are going to be a church that raised the beacon of light in this community. We are going to lift Jesus high and trust him to draw all men into himself. Lord, may you pierce our hearts today with that. May you wreck us. May you break us. But may you mold us and fill us back up today. Lord, we need you in this hour. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we were wretched, but you saved us. May we take that love and may compel us to live a life on mission. We love you, Lord. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you're a believer and you can make it to the way and you just say, God, I want to be a person on mission, would you just join me as we pray at this altar? And if you need to know Christ as your Savior, you've made that decision, I'll be right here. Love to meet with you. Let's worship together.